You okay? Bro, I'm just a little bit emotional, man. I mean, the theaters are opening up this weekend, dude. I cannot tell you how excited I am to go back to my second home, bro. I mean, I totally feel you. For anyone who doesn't know, Cam, like, he's in love with the film industry with the film industry films so are we yeah yeah like, who doesn't love a good movie who doesn't love a good movie going to pop the popcorn bro the dates that happen there the things that happen on the dates in there the first kiss yeah bro it's a time man it's a time a stretch oh uh, yeah no, you gotta put on a, I've never uh, done that you've never done that no. cliche stretch like that's even as a joke that just happens in the movies man literally my life's a movie then, kid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Okay, 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 big boy. Well, well Tenant is releasing very soon, which I'm super stoked about. I love how Christopher Nolan was like, yes, you know, that, COVID, that, but we're still releasing Oh, that's going to be, actually, that looks really good. Any, any Christopher Nolan say. movie is just amazing. Bro, we could just get stuck into movies and no, chatting literally. about it. I love it, man. I, I, I love it. But uh, on top of that, I'm about to do one of the biggest shoots in, in our career. Kingdom's got something up its sleeve that's coming mm. up in the coming weeks. But things are opening up again, and that means a lot for you as well, Cage. You, you got anything... Uh, frying in the pan you're about to you're about to leave us bro by the way I'm really excited about this project coming up yeah it's a, gonna be a bit of a beast <laughs> it's gonna be a bit of a fight <laughs> but uh, yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah bit of a bit of a argy bargy just basically what we're saying is that uh, the viral wellness is not the only thing we've been doing mm. this lockdown yeah which has been very productive we hope that you guys have had a good one too or you've just taken the time to relax I'm gonna be in Dubai yeah, I have to go and earn my money again. Don't leave me. <laughs> South Africa to KG. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the IPL. How's that going, by the way? How's it going? It's going good. I think I've done 16 million COVID tests. <laughs> got, got it up the nose. <laughs> <laughs> All of them have come negative. I just realized I touched my face. And I've got one pending. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's dude. That's that, going to decide whether I leave or not. I'm not going to lie. I was about to say things are really exciting, but that doesn't sound like... I mean, yeah, I'm going to miss you, man. But I mean, I yeah. guess by this time, by the time the episode airs, I guess you'll know whether it was positive or negative. <laughs> KG Roboto <laughs> test positive for COVID-19. No, 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 no. You know, but we've been getting a lot of experience from this whole COVID thing and it's kept us from, uh, you know, I don't think we're in the clear yet, mm. but would you say, Cage, it's time to say we can start to see the lights at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, 100%, dude. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> things are going back to normal. But it's almost like a new normal, right? Mm. So everyone has been working from home. Now you, you kind of get the sense that people are not going to go to offices anymore. Like you have loads of students who've been working online. You have loads of people who've been doing Zoom meetings. And people are working from the comfort of their home. So... Which is, e, you know what you're saying? Like everything's like going on to electronic platforms, right? Like literally, the e-platforms. The e-platform. The e-commerce episode. Welcome, guys. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's getting a huge viral boost uh, during this time as more people have had to find ways of connecting and conducting business off-site. But are these practices like new? You know what I mean? I mean, I know they've been around, yes, but like as an actual industry of business, is, is it new? You know? Yeah, and with, with things slowly opening up and us having to adapt to this new normal, um, are we going to be integrating what we've been doing during this lockdown into our normal lives you know, from, from, from time to come? Dude, I don't know. And But it does feel like it's, it's something that is important as a wellness issue that we want to tackle in terms of business. So without further ado, let's get stuck in then with Mr. Mashuru Modao more commonly known as MASH Startup, and he is here to introduce himself in his own words. Um, my name is Mashrum Radao. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, 
uh, community manager and an ecosystem specialist. So primarily, um, I work in the South African startup ecosystem and the small business development landscape. Um, primarily building platforms and connecting people in order to empower and enable and um, really educate as many entrepreneurs and creators as possible to build the things that they believe in. So how, how do you think MASH startups came up? I don't know, Kej. How do you think MASH startups came up? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I think that's what we should ask Mr. Mishra. <laughs> okay, tell us. Tell, tell, us, tell, us, tell, us, tell us, us MASH startups. A MASH startup is just a, it's a handle that I came up with, right? So I really wanted to brand myself um, according to the things that I was really building and doing at the time. And I really cared about startups a lot. And my name is Mashudu. People cut my name and called me MASH. So I was like, you know, MASH startup, um, it makes sense um, from a perspective of like, it makes people go, okay, I understand what this guy's about, like right off the bat. So it was really a branding thing, like a branding exercise where I was like, I need to brand myself in a specific way to tell the story of the thing that I'm really focused on right now. And MASH startup was like just the perfect way. And then the e-commerce play is really part of something I'm building um, with two guys. So Ubele uh, Kopo and Dali Songoma. So Dali Songoma is one of the super, super high-flying um, e-commerce entrepreneurs in South Africa, I think, um, building a really, really strong business in technology products. And then Ubele Kopo is a super thoughtful um, knowledge and insights hub on startups and ecosystems and marketplaces um, and just where you know the, the, the markets um, and industries are in South Africa. So um, we came together to form a company called Compass. So Compass really is a, you know an innovation hub for e-commerce platforms and startups, right? So during lockdown and um, when COVID hit, a lot of businesses, we decided, you know, we're going to build small um, online stores for small businesses completely free because we felt that we needed to do something, right? So it really was important for us to play a role in enabling and empowering as many entrepreneurs as possible. So we took that first sort of step of building online stores for small businesses and then we built a guide. So a guide to commerce in Africa, um, mainly South Africa. So um, it's a step-by-step -step guide on how to build your own online store from scratch. So if you go to Compass, um, so C-O-M P-A-S-S-Africa, um, and you go to the guide to commerce um, section, you'll be able to build your store from scratch. Um, so a step-by-step -step guide. Um, but our sort of long-term play is really to build out a network of e-commerce platforms slash stores um, that can compete in different categories um, and industries. So e-commerce doesn't seem like that foreign of a concept, right? It's just an online experience of shopping. To be honest with you, even now, even during COVID, I have not had that much of an experience with an, with online shopping. Mm. I feel like, I don't know, dude, call me old school, but like, especially now, I, I don't trust, it's not that I don't trust online banking systems. It's just, it feels weird. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like you're getting into something that's foreign. Yeah. And people have misconceptions about it and they don't really know how to do it. Yeah. I guess it's like almost riding a bike, right? You need to learn how to do it and then it stays with you for exactly. the rest of your life. Exactly. I, I, I Actually, there has been one thing that I must admit I've done during, during COVID. PlayStation online shopping, dude. <laughs> like previously, I was like, I'll never do that, man. It's going to take too much space on my system. So convenient, dude. So convenient. You just Extremely convenient. Click. Bye. You don't have to leave your house anymore. No. Which is weird. There was actually, oh, dude, there's a beautiful anecdote that my grandparents shared. I know, really cool on Facebook, where they mm. said, you know, uh, a grandchild or a child asked this older man, why does he go into the bank? It takes him like two hours to get mm. there and back, you know? So why does he do that if you online, online banking. banking? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's exactly how we recorded 
during lockdown. Yeah, we apart. recorded remotely, and, and, to and be honest we could with you, actually make it work. We can make it work, but it's not as cool as this. It's not as cool as this, obviously. No. I think you still need human interaction. Exactly, and that's what the whole message was about. He was like, I, he told his daughter or his kid or whatever. The reason I still go to the bank is because I'm old. You know, I don't see many people. Yeah, and then the tellers know me. I talk to them. You know, like I, I meet new people in the lines. Like I get to go out. I get to experience the world, even if it is like a chore. You know, it's. Yeah. Human interaction is something that we can't replace. However, no, you cannot. You need it. 100%. Yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. But maybe e-commerce could even be applied to stores like shopping malls. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's let's see what the future holds for us. But it's things are definitely moving that direction. So these were Mash's challenges and misconceptions in e-commerce. So I really think that a lot of small businesses and entrepreneurs think that going into e-commerce is extremely expensive. Um, they also think it's highly technical. And finally, I do think that they have some level of um, fear around safety as well. So the fear isn't necessarily just um, from a consumer side where, you know, consumers are very, very scared to actually transact with these small businesses. But the small businesses are scared of building out the platforms and seeing whether or not their consumers or their customers will be able to actually transact. So it's really about um, building out that trust factor of the technology as well as the transactions um, and all of that. So. A really big part of it is trying to help um, entrepreneurs and small businesses really understand how uh, very simple it's become to start an online store and build these online platforms, but also how easy and simple it is to you know do the logistics because so many people have you know spent a really long time trying to figure out what's the best way to get a customer's product from you know the person that's making the product, the person that's selling the product, and to the person that's actually going to consume the product or use the product. So I think um, really, really breaking down those barriers and misconceptions around um, costs, complexity, um, and technical uh, ability that might be needed to actually facilitate um, um, such, such platforms. But I guess, you know, with, with everything that's happening now, I mean, you look at AI, artificial technology, and... What was this? The fourth industrial revolution moving into the fifth, or is it already the fifth? It's already the fifth, already the sixth. We've like it's moving so fast. Exactly. Here, you know? So I mean, you might as well keep up with what's going on in 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 society. Mm. Um, get to grips with e-commerce. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be bite, scary. Bite you in the yeah. in the ass. And I think the same goes for way. consumers, right? Like as soon as you try it, you actually find that oh, this is kind of cool. You know what I mean? I can order from like my couch. You and know? a lot of people love e-commerce by the way yeah there are plenty of people who love e-commerce e that have told us they love, love e-commerce e yeah so we're looking at someone in the room that loves e-commerce you will yeah. see her soon you'll see her soon but at the crux of it all what we're going into is that the mechanics of shopping are still the same even in an electronic environment right e-commerce is just the online version of walking into a mall an interesting tidbit that we found is that the way that we get our products when shopping e-commerce predates going into a store and physically buying something off the shelf how wild is that yeah. you, you'd be able to buy something and it got delivered to your door yeah that's what's happening these days amazon yeah, yeah, but like, but even before, like before the internet, before technology, um, you used to like it? order it's, it's all catalogs. Bezos. It's also Bezos. Who, who's Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, and then there's um, who's like, who's the Alibaba guy? Jack Ma. Jack Ma. 
Yeah, that guy, oh, genius, bro. Genius, genius. So in what way do you mean, dude? Mail order catalogs. So before we had supermarkets and before we had shopping malls, uh, there were mail order catalogs. You used to literally get like a magazine, tick the boxes, and a catalog would be sent to you. You would choose the items you wanted to purchase from the, pa uh, the package, and you'd mail back the catalog with your order and get a signed check back. A few weeks later, something would pop up on your door and you'd get it via the post. So instead of cataloging by mail, we're now just doing it on websites. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it, it doesn't feel that way, but it kind of does at the same time. I mean, whether you're on Take A Lot or on eStore, you know? Do you remember like those Verimark ads and stuff? Dude, don't even remember. Are those me, similar Mark. like Bro, I used to think that mechanics, that's... but within TV? <laughs> I, think, I think, I mean, maybe. I mean, I remember just getting one of those app machines, you know, and then it's like, work. Cam, come on, dude. You <laughs> honestly got one of those. I, I did, yeah. I don't respect you. You don't respect me? What Verimark product did you get, bro? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> I am Verimark. <laughs> me. <laughs> I have shares in the business. Understand, understand its uh, mechanics. I'm kidding. Know? I still have respect for you. Uh, yeah, thank you, bro. I appreciate that. But, but not my early. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you recommend those? <laughs> No, bro. You know what I was going to get? Cristiano Ronaldo uses them. No, but, yeah, but he uses like a professional, like, you know, high intensity. There's like scientists around there with clipboards and they're like, oh, wait, yes, Chris, yes, these abs are spectacular, you know? But like in real life, bro, you can't just go to a gym and stand on a machine that makes you like jiggle. You yeah, know? but uh, we just talked about this. You can work from home. You can school from home. So why can't you work out in your bed? So human beings should just be blobs then. You know what I mean? Oh, speaking of e-commerce, did you know that Elon Musk dropped uh, uh, a Neuralink demo today that apparently. guy is just phenomenal he's wild eh wild but anyway that, that's something that maybe we could be talking about on the viral on the 78 or whatever you know wherever we're at we'll just be shout out Elon shout out Elon if you hear this no <laughs> respect <laughs> Elon uses one of those vibrating pads <laughs> <He's> a... <laughs> I'm still not gonna use one <laughs> Uh, but yeah, all, all, all in all, we asked Mash if he had uh, seen any links between cataloging and online shopping. So I think the new sort of uh, version of something like that is Instagram, right? So Instagram for me is probably going to become the biggest store in the world because literally everyone now, you know, you it's very normal for you to tag a person on a picture or a product on a picture. The next thing is to tag a price on a picture where someone posts a picture and you're literally just going through their Instagram and you can buy the thing that they're posting on um, directly. So I think that's sort of the closest version I've seen of something like that, where people are literally just you know, looking through um, catalogs or anything like that. I think Instagram has become sort of that central catalog slash um, very marked sort of uh, thing that people are using to transact from. Um, so I think that is the closest thing I have seen to that. Unfortunately, I am way too young to know any of those sort of mail catalog systems. Um, I'm not that young, but that is really, really, really old school. Um, so I think Instagram is the closest thing to that sort of version of things where people are going through content slash um, and, then, and then it becomes commerce um, when you actually click on these tags and start to buy the things that you just sort of used to just look at and be okay with being entertained by them or just like engaging with it as content. But now it's becoming commerce. So the next step or level of social media um, from content perspective is actually it becoming commerce and then becoming social commerce. So social commerce is like um, having a very, you know, social media based um, and sort of interactive based commerce system where you literally just shopping um, at all times in some ways. Um, so Instagram becoming like the next big 
um, online store, basically commerce platform um, that facilitates social commerce um, in the in the next five to ten years or so. But what exactly is social commerce? What is what is it? Tell us. Tell us, mashed potatoes. Cool. So social commerce is just so if you've been watching um, sort of what's happening in, in, in technology and platforms lately, um, Facebook just partnered with Shopify in order to um, help facilitate a process where any entrepreneur, small business or just a person can just start an online store from their Instagram or Facebook account. Um, and the idea is really to convert all the sort of content that people are putting out into becoming commerce platforms. So you're not just an influencer putting out digital content, you're an influencer putting out digital content with an online store slash commerce platform that enables you to sell anything that you post onto your actual platform, right? So um, say, for example, I like to post a lot around the equipment that I use um, and the sort of uh, mounts and the microphones and stuff like that. I would immediately just plug in uh, um, uh, an actual link that goes, hey, you can actually buy this from me in some way. And then um, Shopify would be able to facilitate you actually building that out in a much simpler and sleeker way. So, you know, the way I see things in the next five to 10 years, everyone becomes a brand, everyone becomes a media company. And then the last part, everyone becomes a commerce platform. So everyone builds out a really strong brand around a certain subject matter, um, a very, very niche subject matter. So for example, entrepreneurs in townships, that's a very niche niche. And then saying, you know, um, I make content around this. So I'll, you know, every week put out a podcast or a video around um, what's happening with entrepreneurship in townships. Um, what are the opportunities? What are the challenges? What are the tools people can use? And then next week, the next part of that is me becoming a commerce platform and starting to sell sort of workbooks or something like that from my Instagram or from my Facebook um, platform. as well. I mean, it is plausible to see things going that way. I mean, social media has completely revolutionized the way we see people. Uh, he said everyone becomes a media company, thereby everyone becomes a brand. <laughs> Instagram influencer, <laughs> Instagram model. I, dude, I don't know how I feel. It's still about that, hey? Like, hey guys, a lot of you have been asking about my routine. <laughs> so this is what I do. This is what I do. So like, I use in the morning. this product. <laughs> you know what I mean? Use it now. Use it now. But hey, <laughs> yeah. use it if you want. If but you use want it. To. But use it. You have to. What's a paid, paid ad sponsorship? You see that? I mean, you see that. That was aggressive, dude. But I mean, they you, are aggressive. You're aggressive. Bru Life is aggressive, Cage. Instagram models are aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah. You, I mean, you see that in the rapid growth of influencer cultures. I mean, anyone has yeah. the ability to sell or influence a, a purchasing decision, you know? Yeah. So everyone has the capacity to be a quote, end quote, influencer, as we've said. If they have a platform, they're curating on a social media. Mm. So are we an influencer? We're an influencer on wellness, right? <laughs> Very nice. We are a good influencer yeah we're a wellness influencer we are literally and that's what we that's what we hope this uh, this this this, this e-commerce episode does for whether you're owning a business or whether you're actually just a consumer who needs you know has to travel far and has access to an access point to 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 trade online you know this is something that could help you and your business on multiple levels oh and also our stuff is free yeah, by the, by the way, just saying, you know. Yeah. Back to COVID. I know a handful of people whose shopping habits have completely changed to online. Have yours, Cam? No. 
Also, not me, really. I keep going to Santon. I'm old school. <laughs> I mean, it's no secret that Amazon stands as one of the biggest winners within quarantine. So much so that according to Forbes, Jeff Bezos recently became the first penance, pers- penance. <laughs> it happened again. First tenant? The first tenant. <laughs> so much on my mind, bro. Nolan. Imagine having Jeff Bezos as a tenant. Can you imagine? Like, you're how much? Imagine, imagine. It's like, then you, you're very rich. You're late with your rent, Jeff. <laughs> You owe me 200 million. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> I mean, look at this. I mean, the man... The hey, man Cam, I need a couple more weeks, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give me just give me, give me, me two days, Cam. I'll have, to have the money in the bank once people make a few orders on my online site. You know, he's the first person to be worth $200 billion. Bro, that is like... That's okay. It's not half, but Can it's literally like the low to our country. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like should a, we send him a mail? To I think we should after wellness. this. Jeff... US rent. <laughs> I mean, the shift to digital has been mon- monumental, but how exactly is this shifting the shopping experience we've come to know, especially when you have the lenses of an Amazon and a Facebook style marketplace? This is really interesting. Yeah, I'm flipping stoked, dude. So obviously it's changing, right? So um, you have so much more information and being able to compare prices um, on a very live um, moment, right? So like if I go onto Google and I just go... Um, I'm looking for a podcast microphone. I'm going to get five results, some of them being sponsored or paid for advertising. It's primarily going to be something like Takealot, which is also a marketplace. And then you're going to get some of the other stuff where it's like traditional um, retail stores. And then you get some uh, very niche um, online platforms. And then you get into marketplaces, which usually have the best sort of competitive pricing where someone probably had this microphone for a few years and now they want to change and they want to upgrade so they want to get rid of something and they want to try and trade it for something else so what it really really enables is for people to get much better deals um be able to really um compare those deals in a much better way and be able to interact with the person that's actually selling it so it's a much better review system much better engagement system to really understand the product that you're buying and how you're buying it i think these platforms and these marketplaces really shifted things in the sense that it really showed people the 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 possible opportunities that are out there in selling different things um, on these marketplaces where you didn't necessarily have to make um, you didn't necessarily have to have a capital outlay to, to, to pay to build your own platform. You could use other people's platforms to do this. And you've seen sort of Facebook Marketplace become this massive hub for really great deals on things that you probably can't afford when they, you know, being sold, you know, straight out of the box. But suddenly it really changes things when you have this marketplace where people can compare and be able to buy and be able to exchange things in a much more um, robust and much more um, interesting way. And so these, these platforms have really just opened up commerce um, for people that didn't have access um, for not being able to build their own platforms. And then it really, really opens up massive opportunities from an entrepreneur perspective, right? So small businesses, startups, whatever it is, can actually go into these marketplaces and become their own um, entities and build out their own markets and find customers and be able to do this without spending basically anything um, on finding those customers and being able to, you know, be in front of them and, and saying, look, this is my product, this is how it works. You should definitely buy it or anything like that. All right, guys. So this topic is actually so interesting. We thought that, uh, you know, we have two new exciting uh, people that we will introduce to you in due time, but they're here. So we thought, you know what, let's include them in the episode. So yeah, yeah. let's, let's change things up a bit. Cause this is a, it's a fun debate. We think that we think that this episode 
is really interesting. So we'd love to hear other people's point of views. Mm. Mm-hmm. And sitting on my left hand side is Babuti. And sitting on my right hand side is. Okay, guys. So Welcome. Just to get Thank back into uh, the, the 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 topic uh, sheet here. Essentially, what it means is that the markets become a lot more open for the average person to enter and participate, which is good, right? It's good in theory. But what does that mean when you're talking about a South African context, when you're talking about e-commerce, where people don't even have access to ordering? Yeah, exactly. Because we have a really large and active culture surrounding shopping centers. You know, If you go back to Amazon, for example, um, Amazon's uh, dominance within this period has forced more traditional brick and mortar outlets like Walmart or in our case, macro, <laughs> uh, to yeah. innovate their services. Yeah, and once such services where uh, they shop on the customer's behalf, and the customer simply pays and picks up the goods. That's ridiculous. I mean, are we seeing those types of movements happening here is pretty much not the same as the big guns we're seeing overseas, you know, but it is happening. And we want to know, is COVID really going to have an adverse effect on traditional shopping or is it going to take us forward? What do you think, Nels? Well, I don't know, hey, you say that it's not really happening, but I was at Jacobs yesterday in the mall and they have like a 60-minute order online and then they drop it off at your house. And I mean, that's literally where, where, where things are going now, right? That's what e-commerce is about. But I am still a fan of going to the mall. I get in my steps for the day. <laughs> yesterday, I got in 5,000 steps. From going to the mall? Yeah. Hectic. Just go to the gym. Or go to the mall. Or take a walk. <laughs> you know? I still did that. I did still take a walk to get in the other 5,000. And then I got my 100 vitality points. Are, are you one of those, uh, just talking about like wellness, are you, are you one of those people who, who really like have to hit the activity goals? Hit the rings? I, I got obsessive about that. That's why I don't wear an Apple Watch anymore. I, I am not obsessive about it. But if I'm like on my way there, I might as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you, Maps? I love e-commerce. Um, I think we have one too many shopping centers in South Africa. Every other day they're building a new mall. Why? Why do you need so many? Um, is it because of the population? I think not. Um, I think e-commerce is just so easy. And I understand that um, data in South Africa is a big problem. Uh, we don't have Wi-Fi um, as much as the bigger or um, bigger countries. But... I think I love e-commerce because when I go into the store, <laughs> I buy more things than I actually need to. Um, for example, I went to Clicks today, <laughs> and instead of buying one particular item, I ended Sound up like buying. My Women do that, <laughs> but instead of buying one item, I bought three or four or maybe five. You know, but with e-commerce, you buy that one thing you're looking for. Um, the way they get you is if you buy more than three particular items, then you get a you know you get free delivery, which I'm a huge fan of. But I guess I guess you know I guess in South Africa you've got a certain amount of people that can do e-commerce, right? Hundred percent, and I'm one of those. Whereas people. the majority they have to go to malls. But then it's interesting because my banker, I was speaking to my banker the other day and he was like, you know, they're building all these malls. Who's going to spend the money in them? You know, that's another economic uh, episode. Yeah. Um, the areas that they're building the malls in are the areas where people do the shopping. Also true. Also true. I mean, 
But yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering if, if COVID won't have an adverse effect on e-commerce, it might have an adverse effect on sales and retail. But if it doesn't have an, uh, an adverse effect on e-commerce, when we start to come out of COVID, what do you think is going to happen to e-commerce? Do you think people are going to stay or, I mean, are those malls going to be empty for business or are people going to flood back to the malls in South Africa? Can I just, before we get there, can I just make one more comment? Um, things are cheaper online because they don't have to pay rent, yep. you know? So if, if I buy something off, take a lot, I know it's going to be significantly cheaper than going to the shops because take a lot doesn't necessarily ask for rent um, from um, um, a lot of the, the products that they sell. So that's how, ad, 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 uh, how much of an advantage it, it happened is. Again, <laughs> it happened again, it happened again. Yes, ma'am. That's, that's inevitable. That's inevitable. <laughs> that's really inevitable. Man. <laughs> but, but honestly, it's cheaper. Um, they deliver to your house. You don't have to carry heavy bags. Literally, they just yeah. ring your bell. My and booty really loves e-commerce, guys. Yeah. I really do. I really <laughs> am a fan of e-commerce and I believe a lot in it um, because it's just it's just so easy. And you just put in your banking details and Bob's your uncle. So my booty loves e-commerce. Talentia loves going out. Yeah, because even to Where that, Cam and I are just, we love... We're just here. We're just here to find out. What does MASH say? So I think um, as much as online is really incredible, I think brick and mortar is still traditionally how South Africans shop. Um, think about how much malls we have in South Africa. We have a massive mall culture. And I think um, a, a really great example is Yappy Chef. Um, so Yappy Chef was con really, really successful online business that works really incredible uh, in terms of home products and, and whatever. But they started a, a physical store in Santa City and they made about a million rand in about two weeks or something like that. And it was the most amount of money uh, that made, like it took them months to make that same amount of money online versus in a brick and mortar store. And it's mainly because of the behaviors that we have as South Africans, right? So physical stores still really matter a big amount to us. It's gonna. It's still. It's still very open up for debate. What's gonna happen um, after COVID, um, after lockdown? So level two sort of opened up today. It'll be interesting to see how many more people go back to malls. How many more people go back to physical stores to touch the product and speak to the person that sells the product and be able to engage in that deep and meaningful way, which is typically how South Africans um, like to do things. So it would be interesting to see um, sort of the changes and shifts that happen um, after lockdown and what impact COVID and um, sort of quarantine has had on the way consumers think and the way they actually operate. So I really think that brick and mortar still has a place and it's mainly in creating experiences more than just selling products, right? So people want to go into a store and experience something around your brand, around what you stand for, um, around what the product can actually do for their lives. Not necessarily just like, okay, here's a shelf, here's a product, here's a cashier, and then just buy it. There needs to be more. There needs to be more of an experience. There needs to be more of an engaging, um, interactive um, activity that, that really leads people to come into these spaces, right? So, for example, with Yoko, um, you know, it's a point of sale system, not necessarily needed on a, a physical store, but it was important to have one, to be able to make people go into a space that goes, oh, this is what the brand is. This is what it stands for. And they started to do different things, right? Do events in those spaces so that you can build a community around um, your product. Um, offering small businesses a, a prime real estate in incredibly expensive spaces um, that they wouldn't afford if it wasn't for you. Um, 
those sorts of things change what people really uh, perceive retail to be. And it's really about creating experiences way more than just about selling products. Shopping experiences. Mm. What do people like more? Dude, I'm not going to lie. When I go to, oh, dude, to be honest, I probably do it on online gaming as well. I'm just using gaming because that's probably my most interactive e-commerce trade point at this point. I still like going to the mall for other stuff. Uh, but it's, it's about actually seeing the stuff. You know, and like seeing it like on you, and like yes. going to like the like the change. I know it sounds like when COVID now, everyone's like COVID, like you know, like sanitization. <laughs> but like trying out the clothes that, and something you think in your head might really work well might actually not. You know, yeah. and I don't know on, on an online platform if you can get that. Like you know, some people are very particular builds, but you can get a return. Exactly, oh, but that if takes time. No, but it you does. can still get it. It takes time, but you can still get it. And how long? 30 days oh, or 30 less, days. 30 days or less, but you still get it. And if you don't like it, you can get your money back, you know? So they, they, guys, it works. I'm, I'm telling you. It works, um, but there are pros and cons. Yes, there are definite cons, um, um, but more pros than cons. Um, but again, trying to fit something that, you know, it's, 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 it's a risk you take. Not only fitting though, but quality. Like sometimes you can order something online and pay... It's, it's it could be really expensive and then you get it and the quality is really not great um fair enough also going back to what you were saying about things are cheaper online it really depends on where you're shopping from because like um something like superbulous right they yeah. have a whole lot of brands like steve madden in superbulous but then they don't have the same sales that steve madden does so where you're paying like 600 rand for a pair of boots on sale directly from Steve Madden they're still like the normal price on Superbulous our, our podcast is getting taken over <laughs> see you guys that's why we wanted to have him on here it's flipping cool. we'll just keep quiet yeah. we're just gonna see yeah, you guys just gonna sit but I mean okay just, we've been speaking about all of this from a customer and business perspective but what about the worker like I mean think about it how many jobs are lost or gained from e yeah exactly South Africa has one of the most oh one of the highest unemployment rates in the world mm. <laughs> which we've seen only get worse during COVID. And a lot of shops have already closed indefinitely. And with our country relying and favoring uh, brick and mortar, you know, what does it mean for people employed within those spaces right now? People who literally haven't worked in five months. And like if e-commerce takes off, what's next? You know what I mean? Like you, you've been trained and you may have worked, you may have been promoted to a management position and now, and now you don't even know where the store is. You don't even know where you're... Some people are, there's stories of people being like let go and retrenched by emails and WhatsApps. Yeah, there's a really cool, there's, there's actually an episode on South Park about this. What? Okay, what? <laughs> this took a swing. Just wow. check, it, check it on Netflix. Wowza. It's basically Jeff Bezos and him getting everyone to work for, for, for Amazon. Um, and the malls are just inactive. And everyone in the malls are like zombies. So you know how South Park gets, guys. Is it not scary though that we are kind of moving in that direction um with the fourth industrial revolution we've been told that you know humans are being replaced by gadgets and that's that's scary to to, to know that reality that you know it's not that humans are not going to be required to do labor work anymore yeah, I know, in the I know in the States is a really cool stat about, well, not a cool stat, it's horrible. But truckers constitute a large part of the, Ameri the middle American like workforce, right? And now with self-driving trucks, mm -hmm. gone. Yep. They don't need... 21 sleep. lessons they don't need a, for the 21st century. Yeah, no, you, you see, it's, it's, it's a wild thing. So. It's literally a book by Yeovil 
Hari. Again, yeah. He wrote Sapiens. Read it. So let's see what Mesh had to say. So I think um, people speak about the new normal being like this massive, you know, uh, like insane shift, right? Um, people think of people think of, of, of the new normal being this incredible shift in um, the way things work, but I really think it's going to be way smaller than it than it's been perceived to be. Um, so I think we have very short memories and very short sort of um, habits. Uh, we, we, we really like brick and mortar. That's what I'm saying. And I don't think there will be a massive shift in that long term. I think we'll probably adjust in terms of safety measures, in terms of you know social distancing, in terms of sanitizing everything at every single point of the day and stuff like that. But... I think jobs just need to move um, and evolve and change, right? So I listen to and I watch a lot of um, content by Scott Galloway, who's a professor at um, NYU um, around branding and marketing. And he says, you know, um, in the long term, you know, 50 to 100 years, all jobs that are not creative will be replaced by machines or robots. Because if it's a repetitive task that does not need any sort of creativity or innovation, then they don't need a person to be there. So I really think that this is just, um, you think of COVID not just as a disruptive force, but an accelerant, right? So it's just pushed us five to 10 years forward in the sense that people don't necessarily look at um, online commerce as being this dangerous, futuristic thing. It's become, oh no, I can transact online. You know, um, it's forced my mom um, to start using Uber, start using Uber Eats. It's forced um, friends of mine that didn't really want to um, shop online to go, oh, you know what, I might try it. Because it's accelerated the amount of adoption that people have with these online technologies and the value that those online technologies actually offer. From a jobs perspective, it's really about those jobs just evolving, right? So someone that used to pack a retail store becoming someone that packs... Um, product or packages in a warehouse for online commerce platform. It's not much a different um, job, but like in a different sort of industry. I really don't think it's going to be as accelerated as we think or hope it will be. Um, I think those retail jobs will still be there. It just will sort of adapt and change in, in different ways. Um, but I do think that there needs to be a fundamental shift um, from anyone that that is in any sort of employment that you need to understand that if you're doing a repetitive um, task that has no creativity or innovation to it, then a robot will most likely in the next 50 to 100 years take over that job, right? So think about um, the sort of post office. You know, you've seen how email, um, instant messaging and stuff like that has completely disrupted that sort of place where why would you send something via post? But there's still a lot of people that still do it. So it becomes a niche um, product more than just it vanishing completely. It's the same thing with the magazines, right? So you have way less magazines and the print magazines become collector's items, but the actual um, content on a consistent basis happens on an online platform. So it's just about a, a, real a reallocation of resources and shifting towards um, more technology-enabled jobs and jobs that require more technology and, and innovation and creativity. Hmm, that's interesting. So, you know, what are the realms of creativity? Well, I mean, in terms of job creation, 
you'll definitely have to start bringing people into warehouses, you know, people to pack the goods, even people to deliver. Maybe it's an opportunity for more delivery services. And yeah, I mean, the population or the world or the country will have to adapt in that direction. And humans are pretty adaptable. Mm. People, yeah. you know. Education is very important um, in this regard. Like we need to teach people how how to get upskilled. So skills development will be very key um, going forward into this new generation that we're fast approaching. But bringing this back to our current employment situation, the last few years we've seen the growth of the gig economy, right, and freelancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, within my industry of film, I mean, not only here, but internationally, I've always had a problem with freelancing, and I'll tell you why. Because it's already in the norm, mm. but we're beginning to find more jobs being made that are somewhat freelance friendly, but I don't agree with it for a few reasons. Mm. One of it is people's allegiance there's nowhere to call community. There's nowhere to call home when you're when you're a, a, a straightforward freelancer. You know what I mean? So like you can have your people who freelance do freelance work for you, but it be, we become a little bit like we become like a mercenary nation. You know what I mean? Like we don't have like an identity. Whereas like overseas, people know like Warner Brothers works with this crew. These guys work with that crew. You know what I mean? Like there's these teams. Of but also, how far can you go if you freelance? You know? Well, that's what I mean as well. Can you get? Is there a top of freelancing or is it just freelance? You know? I know that in in my space of work, um, it it becomes difficult to work with people on retainers um, because some of them get too comfortable. So guys who freelance, they come in with new ideas and fresh ideas. So it 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 depends, basically. Um, yes, you can get guys that you work with on a on a on a regular basis, but you also need a competitor, somebody to keep you on your toes. So I think. It's, it's, it's good to, to use freelancers because they're more desperate, I think, a lot of the times than the guys that get a retainer. Yeah. A time-bound gig has opposed uh, to more permanent employment, right? But how will growth or the growth of the e-commerce industry affect the, the gig economy? Just by the way, to current disclaimer, the gig economy means you work a gig. You don't yes. work consistently. You don't work the whole season. You work a gig. Just throwing that out there. So this is not a gig. This is, this is a business, buddy. I think the, the gig economy um, is really one of these sort of underrated shifts in the way the world will work, the way entrepreneurship will evolve, the way content will change. Um, I think, um, again, something that Scott Galloway speaks about a lot. Um, so even, you know, high, uh, high level uh, careers like engineers, doctors, um, accountants, financial managers, whatever it is, will become essentially, you know, work. The, they will work the same way that Uber drivers work or Uber Eats drivers work, right? So think about this um, as a photographer, as a podcaster, as an interviewer, whatever you are, right? Every morning your phone sort of buzzes and someone's booked you for a job. You go for that job. You work that job for a day or two or a week or a month, whatever it is. At the end of the job, you get paid and then you get rated for your service. And then you sort of go on and wait for the next job to come, right? So the way that you, you sort of relate to Uber Eats drivers or Uber drivers um, is the way that you'll most likely um, be hiring your next accountant, the way you hire your next writer, the way you hire your next uh, plumber, all these different models of just, you know, no one's tied to a certain contract for permanent. Permanent is, is such a flawed concept in the world that we live in now, right? So um, as things evolved and changed and, and moved, 
um, those those start to be massive shifts around the way we work and how um, we relate to the work that we actually do. We've started to see a lot more people um, building out personal brands and building out commerce platforms and building out content platforms, building communities around those kinds of content platforms. And it's mainly around these shifts that need to happen, which really about each person becoming um, more and more uh, their own entity and not just becoming, not just being a person um, in their own right, but now you are a brand, you are a media company in terms of your content that you're putting out, you are a commerce platform in terms of the things that you sell, and then you're a service provider in terms of the way that people actually um, acquire your services or your products or whatever it is. Freelancing is definitely growing in our time and age. However, it is volatile and very unpredictable, and it does have its downsides. Absolutely. I mean, the freelance community was all but shut down across the board when COVID-19 hit. And thank goodness for relief packages, but some of those people have been waiting for relief packages for I don't know how long. Exactly. But on top of that, it's just a different way of looking from a normal nine-to-five employment. So what are some of the things that we need to be working on more in relation to our understanding of freelancing? I mean, do you understand it? Do you guys understand what freelancing is? Have you ever freelanced in your life? No, I have not. Um, I've been fortunate enough over the last few years of my employment that, you know, it's, I do my job, but I get a consistent amount of money at the end of the the month Mm. every single month Mm. um with freelancing is you know you get a a gig here and a gig there Mm. and if you don't get a gig in that month then Mm. it's trouble Mm. unless you have multiple sources of income Mm. yeah what do you think Lancia? well i mean i probably will never have to freelance in my life unless i go out of medicine and like one thing that i am really grateful for is the security that comes with going into this profession you know there will always be a need for doctors even with e-commerce becoming so big even with everything moving online well hopefully there will always be a need for doctors um, so I yeah. think I think I think you're pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, and thank you. <laughs> on, on behalf of on, on behalf of everybody, we need doctors. You guys are the real heroes. Cool. So you've seen um, a lot of uh, fintechs, um, health tech, um, sort of just startups disrup- disrupting um, the model for how things have worked before, right? So um, the way you think about medical insurance um, or health insurance or uh, life insurance, all these different things are being constantly reshaped and remodeled because the idea that someone needs a permanent salary in order to get access to finance or um, you need to have certain amount of revenue in order to get a card machine. Um, all these different things are shifting and changing on a consistent and constant basis. And because of that, um, I think the way that freelance work will have to work in future will be different. Right? So you've often found that freelancers, it's very difficult to find, um, to be able to access certain financial things, uh, certain insurance and stuff like that, because you might not have a consistent income. You might not have um, as much access to consistent income and um, you don't necessarily have a permanent contract to be able to say to someone, hey, look, here's my pace. Right. So um, I think the thing that will have to happen is a lot more um, financial technology or health technology or any anything else around startups disrupting the models that these orig- these these sort of um, traditional um, suppliers, service providers actually have. So you're going to need to find um, or 
you need to create more platforms that, for example, protect freelancers when they don't have income, right? So for example, I pay an insurance fee every month um, and if I don't get paid or nothing comes in on a certain month, this insurance will pay me out for that month. Um, you know, that's just a sort of idea around these things. But I think it really is around um, evolving the models um, in which we work and how we think about those models as well. I really do think freelancers need to start um, thinking of themselves more as businesses rather than just like an individual contract supplier, right? And the way I think of this is a mentor told me, you know, the only difference between you being a freelancer um, and you being a fully-fledged startup or a business or an agency is the willingness and ability or the confidence to say, hey, look, I'm worth way more than what you're paying me. Because it takes the same amount of work and the same amount of stress and the same amount of effort to deliver the work either way. So it's really about restructuring the way we work, the way we think about the work that we actually do, and being you know much more um, structured, much more deliberate, and much more direct in the ways in which we say, look, um, this is the work I do, this is how I do it, um, this is the service, this is the level of service that I can provide, and I'm worth what I charge, and what I charge is this. And it mustn't be something that someone knows that they can sort of wiggle their way down uh, to a point of exploiting you. I think way too many entrepreneurs and small businesses and freelancers are open to being exploited purely because they have some sort of business or some certain level of income at that point. But I really think long-term, everyone needs to sort of structure and, and, and formalize and, and really make their, their vocation a much more entity-based thing um, rather than a personal thing. So for example, I was retrenched very early on in COVID and I decided to take my job as a community, uh, as a community manager, um, engaging with entrepreneurs and helping on, um, one business be able to reach entrepreneurs in the right way and change that into an agency, right? So now that is a consultancy that um, focuses on how um, corporates, brands, um, individuals, engage um, and, and, and try to reach entrepreneurs the right way and, de- and actually um, designing programs, projects, events, um, whatever it is to actually engage those entrepreneurs. So changing that job into a consultancy, which then becomes like a very formal entity. And I can say to brands, look, um, these are my list of clients of people that I've actually worked with and my value is this and you need to pay this because I'm not a freelancer, I'm a consultancy company. So I really think it's about shifting your mindset and building out entities and structuring what you're doing in a very um, unique way, but also making sure that the value that you offer is upfront, right? So you don't want someone to have to work hard to figure out what you actually do, why you do it, and how they can actually work with you. It needs to be really, really upfront, um, something that someone can really understand um, off the bat. All right, so I'm not a freelancer. I'm a consultant company. I kind of like the sound of that. It's a change of perspective. I'm not going to lie. I'm getting quite sold here. It's like your cart is in the checkout. It's just waiting for my banking details, I guess. Then. <laughs> but I really would like to know more about the advantages and disadvantages that come with more gig-style work, you know, even though I kind of... Even now, I'm a mercenary. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Are you, are you sold? Okay, we know. You know, we know your We stance. know you're sold. On, on, on... Are you sold? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 
done. So the biggest disadvantage is obviously the, the lack of consistency in terms of income, right? So you need to be way better and smarter and very, very wise in terms of your financial management and accounting to understand, you know, if I don't get any job um, for the next three months, what does my runway look like? Um, so runway is an analogy in startups where um, how long does it, how long um, do you have um, to land the plane before it crashes, right? So um, you really, really want to make sure that you have the longest possible runway to ensure that you're safe for the long, longest possible time. So with gig economy work, you don't know if you're going to get your next job. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know how big it's going to be. So it's really, really complicates the way in which you manage your finances and make sure that you sustain your living, right? So I think that's one of the biggest disadvantages. But the massive advantage is um, being able to do much more engaging work with a range of clients at the same time and having the flexibility to, you know, start or stop or keep going with the ones that you really feel like does the work that you that most fulfills you and where you can add the most value. So those two things, I think, are the right um, sort of just uh, comparative advantages and disadvantages. Um, and, and you can sort of you know go into other more detailed things, but I really think those are the biggest ones. But with any conversation surrounding work and employment, there is a continuous elephant in the room and it honks its horn at our youth. Our current youth unemployment exceeded 43% as we entered our second quarter, with figures set to rise. According to Stats SA, over 60% of people who are unemployed within this country are the youth. We asked Mash what are some of the ways he thinks we could go about trying to reduce these alarming stats, especially with an understanding that things will still get worse employment-wise before it gets better. You know, I think I've always said this, um, youth unemployment in South Africa is a national crisis that no one seems to be paying attention to. Yes, they say, you know, we're doing these programs and we're doing these things, but you never see the outcomes of those things. And every year when we have elections, you know, we, we, we do this thing where the leading party will say, hey guys, we're going to do 2 million jobs. So, you know, 10 years ago, they'd say, we're going to deliver 10 million jobs. And then it went down to five and then it went down to 2 million and then it went down to 500,000. And then it's, the language started changing. It wasn't, we're going to create jobs. It was, we're going to create job opportunities, which basically meant that we weren't going to guarantee that you'd actually get the job. We'd give you the opportunity to possibly maybe get the job, which is like one of the most um, disingenuous things that I think the South African government has done is um, really abandon the young people of this country. And I think it's this massive ticking time bomb that people don't recognize that the day that it explodes is really going to fundamentally shift this country. You can't, you can't sustainably have half of your young people sitting at home doing nothing, sitting in the township and rural areas and suburban areas doing nothing. That is a very, very big crisis that I think we will pay for dearly the day that it really, really shows itself. Um, I think e-commerce is not going to be the saving grace for this. I think there needs to be a fundamental shift in the way that the world or the way South Africans um, create jobs and build jobs, right? So it's really, for me, an investment in, in upskilling, educating and empowering people to start building the things that they believe they can build or create, right? So you enable 500 entrepreneurs to be the best possible entrepreneurs that can build incredible businesses. You're going to get people that build businesses that are big enough and sustainable enough to employ people. And I don't necessarily think that we've done a good enough job enabling and empowering entrepreneurs 
at that level, right? So how many entrepreneurs do you know that have been able to, you know, employ a hundred plus people? That is what we should be aiming for is empowering and enabling enough people so that they can build businesses that they can actually um, uh, employ as many people as possible. And I think that's something that's way more complicated and way more um, technical than maybe I might understand. But I really think that um, there needs to be a fundamental shift in how we educate, um, empower, and enable young people to build things that they believe in so that they can employ the people that um, really need these jobs. And I think COVID has only made it worse. Um, the last figure I saw was around um, a million people or two million people had lost their jobs due to COVID, me being one of them. Um, I didn't look to the government, unfortunately, for help because I don't necessarily believe that that's where I'll get the help I need, right? So I started looking within my network. I started looking at um, LinkedIn. I started looking at private companies and brands and small businesses and going, look, where, can the, where are the opportunities in that sense? And I think a lot of young people in South Africa don't have that mentality of like, let me try and you know look for the opportunities myself. Um, I think there's a over-reliance on the government and what the government can provide. I think the government is extremely overwhelmed in terms of um, this specific problem, but so many others as well. And I think it's going to be a very difficult 10 to 20 years where Young people are now getting older and they need to be in places where they feel empowered, more educated and more enabled to build great things, but also provide opportunities for other young people to be able to grow um, and be able to get the jobs that they need and the incomes that they need to sustain a decent life. So it's a really, really massive problem that I think it should be the biggest priority of the government, but also the corporates in South Africa. I think corporates and brands don't necessarily... Um, have a full understanding of the role they play in society and how much they also need to um, contribute to the you know, growth and success of this country. I think um, it's going to take a lot, a lot of work from so many more people to be able to solve this. And I really hope it does get sort of tackled and solved and um, it, it gets improved before that sort of explosion. Um, I really think... You know, I've predicted a tipping point where, you know, the wealth inequality in this country, the unemployment in this country, um, and just the, you know, corruption in this country um, finally hits young people at a level where they go, you know what, we can't, this this can't be normal. You know, I was speaking to a friend from London um, and she said, with all the problems that your country has, I'm very surprised you guys haven't burnt everything to the ground. And I said, that is very shocking, actually. You know, I've never thought of it like that. But, like, if you think about the situation of young people in South Africa, um, not just unemployment, but, you know, exploitation by corporates, um, you know, difficult situations when they try to start businesses, the incredible failure rate when they start businesses, the incredible, um, you know, poverty in, in South Africa, all these things. And then you have massive corruption on top of that that um, halts the progress and the growth that people are trying to make. I think it's a really, really big recipe for disaster. And I really hope that we, we are able to tackle it in some way before that sort of mass explosion and that tipping point is reached um, at some point. Things are incredibly tense because these are volatile times. For two years in a row, South Africa was deemed the most unequal country in the world. I mean, I think we covered that in our economic episodes, mm. um, which means that the problems you and I are facing 
hit us quite differently from people who are on the exact opposite side of the coin. I mean, like one of the things he mentioned was how he was using LinkedIn as a tool to curb unemployment. But in a country where, you know, data must fall is a real thing and we're looking at like zero, zero, zero based <laughs> influencing. Uh, uh, how expensive internet data is really impacts our, our employment rates then because people can't access LinkedIn, they can't put their CVs out there and they can't contact the people that could give them jobs. Yeah, for a world that's actually heading into AI, we can't even get for a data. Yeah. No, I mean, ridiculous. that's like the most basic thing you can get. Yeah, yeah. yeah hey, what do you guys think? That's one thing we need to kind of work on as a nation is getting data to the people. Um, I'm from Limpopo and 90% of Limpopo is rurals. So how do you educate again 90% or, or give the 90% in Limpopo um, data and internet. Um, it's going to take a while. Hey, Rolf. I actually reading um, 21 centuries, uh, 21 lessons in the 21st century by Yobel Hari. Um, he actually mentions that people are starting to become less needed, as you mentioned earlier. And it's, they, they, they become more insignificant, if you want to put it that way. Whereas before, being a, fire, a, a, a fireman, that was something you could be really proud of. But with times to come, you know, you're going to lose that significance. And people want to feel significant in mm. society. So these are really interesting times that we face. So, so you know, it's unfortunate. And, you know, um, I recognize my provision that sense is like, you know, I have access to a computer, I have access to Wi-Fi, I have access to a phone. So I can sort of go, okay, I'll go on LinkedIn, I'll go on Twitter, I'll go on Instagram. Um, and I think the, 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 the biggest thing for me is like having way more disruptive technology um, in the market that changes things, right? So for example, something like Rain, I think Rain has done an incredible job um, at opening up access to the internet in ways that people don't necessarily understand yet, right? So being able to surf the internet for anything and everything sort of content um, for about 16 hours a day um, at the cost of, you know, ridiculously low versus what the other sort of service providers offer. We need way more of that. We need five, five to 10 more reigns sort of businesses that are going, you know what? Um, traditional businesses thrive on increasing access to and, and, and barriers to entry. Um, we are going to break those barriers to entry down and be able to open up access. So being more accessible, being able to open up access to new markets, to new, new opportunities, to new people, that being the focus rather than, okay, we want to close as, as many people out so that we can get as much money as we can getting in. Right? So we need a lot more of those disruptive technologies, but also a lot more um, work in rural areas and townships. I think entrepreneurs really overestimate the value um, of urban areas um, and cities and underestimate the value and, and importance of rural areas and, and township economies. I really think that um, the moves we've seen in the last 20 years or so where large corporations like ShopRite, like Wickham Bay, like um, Checkers, all these businesses deciding to build malls in townships and then putting their biggest stores in those townships that should tell you something. There's something there that they want to tap into. 
But, you know, we, we, we're not doing enough of a job to go independent entrepreneurs, independent small businesses. You guys should have the opportunity to build these sort of platforms out yourselves to empower the people around. So I really think that it really needs to be an access-driven thing. I think the government has a massive role to play. I've seen a lot of Wi-Fi hotspots sort of popping up across the, the, the country and where people can be able to access the internet, but it's not enough. We need way more. Right, so a combination of, of of a combination of private startups that are disrupting models that exist that limit access and really want to open up access and be able to you know open up um, opportunities for more people, and then also the government being able to enable as many people as possible to have access to the devices or the connectivity as well. So what I'm getting from a lot of this is that. There's a lot more we could be doing to flourish within an online complex, but there's still so much to do to get there that yeah. we're still very much far, far away from actually achieving that, that position, you know? As a viral wellness, wherever we can and wherever it is appropriate, we try to look for solutions and come up with tips and give people insight and inform people on the latest trends and whatever's going on, whatever is relevant. I know Nalencia's got a show. It's not the last time you're gonna see Nalencia. Mm -hmm. Oh, not the last time you're gonna see this lovely woman sitting to my left hand side, Maputi. <laughs> um, this is this is something that we we aim to to really express to the to the public, and the information is endless. So we asked Mash what he believed could be some low hanging fruit that we could pursue to get where we need to be going. Yeah, so it's really about opening up access, right? So um, let's put, for example, I really think that it should be a thing that um, um, you've seen over the last six months during COVID, whatever, um, a lot of universities have been able to negotiate zero-rated websites or platforms with these networks, right? So zero-rated means that no one, you don't get charged for accessing that website or whatever platform. Um, from your device, right? So I could go on to Vids, um, whatever learning platform they use, and I'm and, and already getting access to the educational material or anything else. So the way I think of it, um, sorry. So the way I think of it is if Vodacom, MTN, and Chelsea could open up access to educational platforms, why can't they do that with everything else, right? So we need a lot more aggressive um, legislation that really um, opens up access to these things. I think that data in South Africa is exorbitantly high. Um, if you look at the comparative pricing between South Africa versus a market like Kenya, a market like Nigeria, a market like Rwanda, Uganda, you'll see how much more we pay versus every other country in the continent or even the world. And I think it's the government's job to really start regulating those things and really start going, look guys, you've had a really good ride doing what you're doing, but it's really time to open up access because access to the internet opens up so much opportunity and possibility and so much in, in enablement and so much education, so much empowerment for people that really need it, right? So if you give a young child access to internet much earlier, they can start learning about so much more in terms of careers and opportunities and small businesses that they can start. So I really think it's about opening up um, access to not just the internet, but the tools that you can use um, on the internet to enable you and empower you 
to build things that you want to you actually believe in, or more than that, you know, be able to start getting, um, you know, whether you're getting online courses and using those to get leveraging that to get a job, that is power, right? So I really think that the internet is highly underrated for the empowerment and education that it can provide. And I think it's the government's job to try and like rein in now. I think the the, the telecom um, companies don't necessarily have an investment in open up access. There's no benefit for them um, to lower their prices. And I think that the government really needs to be way more aggressive about going, look guys, we really need you guys to do this so that we can actually enable and empower as many people as possible to start learning as much as possible from the internet and start finding new opportunities, getting trained, um, exploring e-commerce as a business opportunity. All these different things really come from opening up access and being able to say to people, look, here it is, we've opened it up. Now you can sort of figure out where you think you can create value and then just try and drive as much value as possible to get yourself, you know, whether it's out of poverty or into a completely new career and stuff like that as well. So it's really about opening up access um, more than anything. And it's a government's job to try and really, really push that um, to be something that happens um, across the country. Mash mentioned countries like Rwanda and Kenya and comparative prices, but an interesting fact is that those countries and territories like Estonia have their governments declare internet access to be a utility. What this means is that the internet would be treated within the same vein as water, lights, and public transport. Guys, the internet is an essential it's service. It's a necessity, <laughs> bro. It is. Yeah, so you're, you're not, you're, the NHS is not the only essential service. <laughs> but the internet is say, as important as the NHS. We need the internet. <laughs> the doctors we need do, the, the We internet. do need it, but we, we also have an issue with electricity in our country. Um, so, yes, we, we definitely need um, internet and it's, it's, it's about time that we step into that. But we still have issues with lights. Um, <laughs> it's and, so true. And I'm not trying no, no, to be no, no, funny. No, 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 I know, I know, I, I hear you, I I'm, hear you. I'm not trying to be funny. Um, but well, no lights, is no internet. Yeah. No, low electricity, no, no light. electricity, exactly. no data. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Every single time the electricity goes off, I can't work because my fiber goes off. Why don't you charge your... Oh, no, actually, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't work. work. I was no. like, charge your router before, but I was no. like, where's the router getting the signal? Exactly. But, but, but yeah, that's a whole other, like, I suppose we get to this utility one. Yeah, solar segment. energy. Yeah. But do you think that the, we would benefit if the internet was declared a utility? Definitely. 100%. Definitely, e-commerce would grow at a significant rate. Like I'd, I'd say, ex like exponentially, massively, like, huge. That it's huge. It, it would grow at an exponential rate. <laughs> anyway, the government subsidizes some of the costs to make sure that the service is accessible to as many people as possible. Amazing. So you guys are saying we should go that route. I agree. Totally. All right, let's hear what Mash thought. I absolutely agree with that. I, I definitely think that data and access to the internet is a utility now, right? So it should be, and I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, was this not um, added to human rights in some way? Um, I'm not sure when, um, but I'm definitely sure that there was an organization that declared internet access and access to, to data and stuff as a human right, mainly because of the vast amount of um, education and empowerment that people can actually derive from it. I really, really, really believe that 
it's a fundamental big, big, big thing that changes countries for their better. I really think that regulating it as a utility and being able to say to you know organizations, hey, look, you can make a profit, but it's not, it's, it can't be exploited. I think right now the problem that we have as a country is that data prices are exploitative, right? So it's a, a, at the point where it's a luxury, where people feel like they're treating themselves when they when they buy it, and also. South Africans spend data the way we spend money. That's how invested we are in it. We're not, we, we don't just like freely just browse websites or whatever. You're literally just going there for what you're looking for and try and get it in as short, as, as short a time as you can so that you can get off and save as much data as you can. And that changes when you start having stuff like rain, which is like 16 hours, unlimited data, and then you have to pay a premium for that sort of pre, um, you know, prime time, whatever period. So I really think that regulation of data as a utility would have fundamental impact on accessibility, but also um, not make it so exploitative. If people have more disposable income um, to do other things rather than just buying data, I think it opens up so much more opportunities um, than it does um, with what's happening now, which is extremely, extremely exorbitant um, costs. We're already talking about this in uh, uh, the episode that follows us about digital universities, but Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights states that the internet is in fact a human right in the 21st century now. You know, it is, the, it is that vital to our functioning as both a society and our growth individually. I mean, look at, look at lockdown. If we didn't have internet, there would be no connection, you know? There'd be no Zoom calls, there'd be no shopping, there'd be no, you know, us chatting, there'd be no podcasts, there'd be nothing. Bro. There'd be no me. Yeah. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> no. So, so actually making sure that people have access to it, it should be a top priority as we've established earlier. Uh, think about how much we've been able to learn through the internet, you know, not just you know, from podcasts. <clears throat> but finally, it wouldn't be the viral wellness if we didn't try and see this from a more wellness perspective. And one of the things about this generation and this time is that you can find yourself constantly working. <laughs> We're just talking off camera now about how we've had such a long day. Yes, um, except for <laughs> <laughs> uh, Burnout was recognized as a real illness by the World Health Organization and it speaks to the working culture we have. Yeah, I mean, the gig economy, being a brand, an influencer, a freelancer, whatever you want to call it, even if you're just employed, you know, you have to hustle now and you have to hustle harder. And with COVID-19 forcing us to work at home, there's a further blurring of the lines. Like we didn't stop. Yeah, we didn't know, stop. At all. Like like midnight, six in the morning. Six in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Who's calling me at six in the morning? Casey. <laughs> but, the, uh, is this <laughs> yeah, yeah, who calling is me this? at 5.46 in the morning? Yeah. Dawn. Hallelujah, you've morning. never called me that earlier. No. Okay. The I would hate that. Yes, dude, yeah. guys, do not call, uh, call us there, you know. <laughs> like, just goes a bit... <laughs> yeah, just... Yo, yeah, it takes... We need coffee in the mornings. But, I mean, it takes a toll, right? There's, there's no limits to work takes a toll. So let's talk about, guys, this, this concept of productivity. Cage, do you think we value our success, our, our days of productivity? Or how productive we are? Is, is that how we measure our time or is it about stillness and focus and energy? I think it is focus. If you focus on too many things and you're not really going to get a lot done. Jack of all trades is the master of none. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't just dabble in too many things, but I think it's almost getting the point rather than like running around in circles and looking really amazing. And that is exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Is this like for, for, for me, it feels like 
the point of of productivity it's not so much being productive as it is about purpose driven you know what I mean? So like if I achieved the purpose of the day, if the day was literally to do 10 sit-ups and I did that, then that's a productive day, you know? Mm. Um, Can I ask that's, a question? That's though? my end, yeah. Um, my question is, what about stretching yourself? What about stretching yourself to do 14 steps in, or 14 push-ups or whatever it is instead of the normal six that you do a day? Exactly, but that's what we're saying about no limits. Is when, when is it wise to have limits? So, Robin Sharma right he says that instead of being busy being busy we should be monomaniacally focused so focus like a maniac on the things that we're good at right do less obsess so once you've equipped mm. yourself with the skill that whatever it is right this is this is my viewpoint <laughs> once you've equipped yourself with a skill that now is kind of like coded into your your daily life like okay i'm gonna get this done no matter what then go on to the next thing and make sure you're doing it just as well you know but i think that when you haven't mastered one thing and you're now still thinking about the next thing you're not really like being present Mm. and giving the um the outcomes that you're really capable of Mm. I mean, finding balance and a way to switch off is absolutely necessary for all of us. Mm. It's not something that we practice well enough, though, because I feel like the lives that we live in are very ambitious driven. And like, I know for for us, and I feel like for you guys as well, because that's yeah. why like attracts like. It's like, I don't know, build your own dreams or, or you'll build someone else's. You know what I mean? So Correct. like, we have to push ourselves. Is that why everyone's freelancing? Eh? Eh? Yeah. Eh? You see, is that the best thing? I mean, eh? Eh? <laughs> but, but also... Um, again, with stretching yourself, if if you're, and, and we spoke about this offline, but freelancing also allows you to tap into um, stuff that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times we do work um, and we do it because we need to get a salary. But what about if you're good at painting, for example, but you have a, a finance job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can become a freelance painter and that can get you a quick buck. Uh, with doing something that you actually do love, you know? Life coach. <laughs> hey. Will you be my life coach? Yes, I will. <laughs> How much you got, huh? <laughs> well, guys, we're getting to the end now. Because um, we're starting to talk about life coaches. And- <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we hope you found a lot of value in this conversation. If you want to start dipping your toes in e-commerce or just learn more about it, here are some steps. Let's have a listen to what Mesh has to say. Mesh. Mesh. Cool. Um, so my biggest recommendation is you should go onto Compass. So C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot Africa. So Compass dot Africa. Um, go onto the resources and then go onto um, the Compass Guide to Commerce. Um, so this is a guide that we um, built it's a step-to-step guide on how to start, build, and grow an uh, online store. It's really the most comprehensive thing that we've put together. Um, so we spent lockdown trying to empower as many entrepreneurs and small businesses as we can. So we built um, online stores for small businesses to enable them to be able to transact um, with their customers during that period where they couldn't. And so um, go on to there and, and learn as much as possible around starting that. And then you can go on to YouTube. I really think YouTube is such a great resource for learning these things, right? So Shopify, that being one of the biggest and best um, platforms to start an online store on, they have an incredible online, um, a YouTube channel 
um, I think it's called Shopify Masters or just Shopify. So just search Shopify on YouTube and they literally break down every part of their platform for you to learn every part of how to actually start and grow um, a store on Shopify. And I really think um, find something that you're super passionate about, right? So don't just start an online store for the sake of starting an online store. Start an online store with something that you're really passionate about and something that you really care about because um, that will sustain you when things get hard, when things get difficult. I really do think it's valuable to start an online store as a side hustle at the beginning and then work your way up to really building it out as a business. I really think there's value in doing that um, and being able to, to do it with something that you really care about. So there's definitely a lot to go into when we're talking about the world of e-commerce as our fantastic leader has shown us uh, very comprehensively. I'm going to remind you that he does have his own podcast called The Mash Startup that you can check out and we'd like to cross-pollinate and produce a shout out to Mash. Uh, but yeah. But before we leave, here are some parting words from the trailblazing Insert fire sound effect. <laughs> but how would you make a, a fire sound effect? Sounding more like a growl. The house is very like Perry the platypus. It sounded like you were hungry. Yeah, I, I don't know. we are. Okay. Well, thank you, Mash. I really need to emphasize this. We are a generation that really cares about the work that we're doing, um, and because of that, we are attaching ourselves to organizations, to our output, our productivity, and that's not necessarily the healthy way to do things. I really think that there's um, a really much better and smarter way to do things. I think hustle culture has sort of misled us and put us down this path where um, if you're not being productive, you can't be valuable. And it's so misleading, it's so misguided, and it's super unhealthy. Um, do the work that you can to find the things that you care about. Add value in the places that you can add value, but make sure that you um, are not attaching yourself and your self-worth to the output that you have and the productivity that you have. So I really think it's about making sure that you are okay first. And if you're not okay, that's still okay. Just work on getting okay again, right? So whatever it takes to really earn the best parts of yourself um, in the spaces that you need to be in, um, with the people that you need to be in those spaces with, I think take the time, um, make the effort, and really take time out um, to find yourself again, to make um, the changes that you need to make to really find um, the best parts of yourself. I really think um, lockdown has taught me a lot around um, not attaching my value um, to outputs, to productivity, to the company I work for or the people that I work with, um, but really about adding value to the world in some way and contributing positively to the world in meaningful ways to make sure that I am um, you know, making a difference in some way and adding value. So um, I'm on every single social media platform. Um, I just launched a platform called Founders Source. So um, source as in tomato sauce, not source of hope, even though we hope to be one for creators and entrepreneurs across the continent, right? So go on to founderssource.com um, and we've collected about 500 plus um, online resources for entrepreneurs that they can use um, to start, build and grow the things that they believe in and care about. Um, I really think it's a meaningful and valuable platform for people to use to enable themselves and educate themselves on the things that are happening in the world and how they can build the things that they care about as well. So super, super excited about that. Um, you can also check out my podcast called the Mass Startup Podcast. Um, we've been on the Apple podcast charts a number of times. Um, I consider it to be one of the best 
um, African-based um, entrepreneur-focused podcasts um, in the continent. It's something that you can really, really use to empower yourself and learn from really great founders as well. Um, and then I'm on social media basically all the time. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, mainly um, MASH Startup. So MASH Startup. Um, and you can use that as well. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity to chat to everyone. Um, really, really appreciate the time and the questions. I think it was really thought out. And I think this is a really, really important platform um, for young people to learn more um, and be able to educate themselves as well. So thank you guys so much. Founders Source, entrepreneur-based podcast and good content. I have a lot more to get into with MASH. Yes, and we'd like to thank you for this invaluable information that you brought to this discussion on this episode. And as always at the Viral Wellness, we'd like to end off with our tradition of the coronavirus cases up in the world. Do you guys want to read them? Sure. So read them one after the other. Are we both reading these? Yeah, so yeah. we're testing your numbers here. You go. You go cases, you go yes. I can't do the 24 million one. You go. <laughs> okay. So these active cases... Uh, it's just coronavirus cases all in all worldwide. So they, oh, these are global. They can't be active. They no. can't be 24 million. No. Okay. No, those are, those are active. Yeah. According to World Health Organization? No, no, according to. Uh, are you sure? Is it not 24 million that. It's 24. Yeah, so 24 no, no, no. million. Oh, recorded yes, cases. Yes, recorded, recorded, not cases. active. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. recorded. Okay. Just say coronavirus cases. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, that's what we say though. Mm. Okay, so um, coronavirus cases, 24,600,000. Casey, I was going to do it. I was going to do it. I've been ready. 687,921. Studies okay. made, guys. Okay. <laughs> coronavirus deaths. We're done. 836,000. 898. What? And Wait. recoveries, KG, let's do this. 17 million. million 570 recoveries. Guys, this has been an interesting episode. I found it really interesting. It was great. I'm Cameron Scott. And I'm Kachiso Robada. I'm Maputi. I'm Nalencia. Viral Wellness. Thanks for listening. Booyah!